Thanks for joining us for today's message. We're always encouraged to know how God is using this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email to amen at theexchangechurchhouston.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so online at theexchangechurchhouston.com. Doing this will help us to bless others and bring messages just like this one to you each week. Today's message is from our lead pastor, Pastor Jared Brooks. In this message, you will be encouraged and challenged to move your life past what you've always known into uncharted territory. I am excited about 2018. Amen? 2018 is going to be awesome. It's going to be crunk. Okay, that's how we young people, we say it. It's going to be crunk. And so I'm excited that uh, you're here. But I want to take you back this morning. We're going to talk a little bit. Um, and I'm going to set up this year. So typically when I, when I speak, I'll preach a message and I have these points. This Today, I just want to cast vision, if that's okay. I just want to share vision and some things I feel like God's really laid on my heart and where we're going and what's happening with our church. But this morning, I want to take you back to the exile, uh, one of the low moments in Israel's history. Now, this is a part uh, of Israel's history. This is after the reign of King David, okay, King David, he reigned, and there were, were victories, and, and they were powerful, they were a powerful nation, and then this is after the reign of, of King Solomon, where every king in the world sought his wisdom on how to lead and how to guide, because he was so smart, and God had blessed him with so much wisdom, and uh, so this is after all the power that Israel had all of a sudden, just a few short generations later, they find themselves at the bottom, okay? They find themselves at the bottom of all power, of all privilege. Even They even lost their beloved Jerusalem, okay? So they're at the very bottom, and they find themselves bound and, and under the reign of a, a very oppressive nation. And so they've already had their glory days, and this is kind of at the very bottom in the middle of just depression and chaos and... Uh, fear that Isaiah begins to speak to them. So if you would stand with me this morning, we're going to go to the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bibles, you can follow along in in the book of Isaiah. Otherwise, we're going to put it up here on the sky Bible so you can read it. But Isaiah is speaking and he's speaking as the Lord, from the Lord. This is the word the Lord's given him. And this is a very popular, popular passage. I've heard it preached in our church a few times, and uh, but it's relevant for where we're going this morning. Isaiah 43, starting with verse 15, says, I am the Lord, your holy one, Israel's creator, your king. He's reminding them, hey, I want you to understand who I am. I'm speaking to you. I'm speaking a very specific message. Before I give you this message, you need to recognize who I am. I brought you to this point. I created you. I am your king. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and the horses, the armies and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again. I want you to understand the power I have, and I want you to remember all the victories that I've given you. And he says this, extinguished and snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? 
He says, I'm doing a brand new thing. He says, forget the former things, okay? I'm the king. He's reminding, I'm the king. I'm your, I'm your God. I'm the Lord. I brought you out, and I brought you to this point. I don't want you to forget who I am, but I want you to forget the former things, all those little things that have brought us to this point. Remember me. Now I want you to see that I'm doing a brand new thing. And he's asking them, don't you see this? Don't you get this? Father, I pray this morning, I pray over our church, I pray over our community, God, I pray over our families right now, Lord, that, that we will see that you're doing a brand new thing. You're not just doing a new thing in our church, as it's known as the exchange, God, but you're doing a new thing in every house, and in every individual's heart, God, in every family, you're doing a new thing in every marriage, Jesus. God, and so we submit our lives to you, and, and we, we make a, a pact with you to go on this journey of discovery, Father. In Jesus' name I pray, and everybody said amen. 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 You may be seated this morning. Do we have any history buffs in here? How many of you like history? Okay, some of you. See, history was one of those subjects in school. I loved history. The reason I loved history is because it was in the book, Right? See, math wasn't in the book. I didn't like math because it wasn't in the book. Now, they give you all these formulas in the book, and then they give you a problem that's not in the book. And so you have to use this formula that they gave you in the book to figure out this problem that's not in the book. The answer was not in the book. I don't like that. That's why I don't like algebra, algebra 2, algebra 25, or whatever I flunked out in, in school. I just didn't like it. But I liked history because history is in the book. This is what I keep reminding my daughter all the time. She's always uh, getting, wanting to get out of history. And I'm like, history is in the book. Everything you need to know is right there. That's why uh, coaches come out of college and they're ready to go coach. And they stick them in history because it's an easy subject to teach generally because it's in the book. Right? It's all in the books. You know, all of you history buffs are like, come on, back off, back off. So we're going to talk some history this morning. And uh, man, I had a blast really looking at all this stuff. Even this morning, I was still going through and looking up different facts and quotes and stuff. But on August the 12th, 1805, Meriwether Lewis took a drink from a small stream and he climbed up the side of what is now known as the Lemhi Pass, which is the, on the border between Montana and Idaho. And he discovered at that moment that everything he knew about the world was wrong. Everything. For 18 months, Meriwether Lewis and his partner William Clark and the Corps of Discovery had been traveling upstream. Everybody say upstream. To discover a water route. A water route that everyone knew existed. A water route that everyone was so certain it existed that it, for 300 years it had been drawn on maps even though it hadn't been discovered. Everybody knew this water route was right there. So they travel 18 months upstream to discover this water route. The Corps of Discovery had been sent by Thomas Jefferson. This is right after, this is when they make the, uh, the Louisiana Purchase. Okay, so they make the Louisiana Purchase, and Thomas Jefferson, he puts a group together, a group of a military and explorers. He puts them together, and he says, look, you're going, to, you're going to trace out this water route, and you're going to find where it connects from the Gulf of Mexico to the Pacific, okay? 
Um, this is important. This is important in the history of the United States because whoever finds and discovers this water route has the economic resources, the financial gain that's going to change the world forever. And for a small nation, this is huge. This is really, really big. And so they're going to try to, cha- to try to find this water route. Now, what's really interesting is that this water route, the discovery of this water route was not just important for the United States, but there were four other nations that were really vying to find this water route. In fact, Spain, Spain sent two war parties to try to track down and find Lewis and Clark and kill them so that they could find the water route. And then I was reading that Spain went behind the United States back, and France went behind the United States back. They signed a treaty that Spain was going to go find this water route. They were going to restore the Louisiana, uh, per, this Louisiana territory back to France. So it's a bunch of crazy stuff. So it's really important. And Thomas Jefferson he sends this group of explorers and military people. And he said, I need you to go find this. And I need you to go to map this out and stake claim on it so that it will rightfully be ours. And we will have the trade and the commerce uh, rights to this water route. So it's so critical. So Meriwether Lewis takes a drink from this tiny stream that's become known as the Missouri River. They've gone up the Mississippi. They went over to the Missouri River, which is through North Dakota and Montana. And now they're on the border, expecting to take their canoes. This is what they believed. They had been traveling for 18 months. They were going to take their canoes about a half a day's journey, put in on the other side, what they believed was the Columbus River. They were going to float down the Columbus River, downstream the Columbus River into the Pacific Ocean. They were going to take selfies, send them back to Thomas Jefferson and say, we did it. We did it. This is the greatest journey. We're the greatest explorers of all time. Right? This is what they believed was going to happen. So they've got their canoes and they've been going upstream for 18 months. He bends down. He takes a drink from the stream. He's about to step right over the, the peak of this Limhigh Pass and, and see what this next journey And the next journey has got to be easier because they're going to be floating downstream. And he looks over and he discovers the Rocky Mountains. 300 miles of Rocky Mountains. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Okay, you just got to really picture in your mind what they believed. It, it was in that moment when he looks over and he realizes that the world that he thought he knew, what they believed, what had been drawn out on maps, what he learned in geography, what he learned in U.S. history class in the seventh grade or eighth grade, everything that he knew to this point was wrong. And he looks over and he sees 300 miles of mountains. The Shoshone tribe had told (coughs) Lewis and Clark right before they went up. They said, okay. Lewis and Clark said, well, we're going to go and we're going to connect to this river. Is there a river over here? And they said, oh, yeah, there's a river. You just got it just over the mountains. Lewis and Clark said, okay, no problem. Because they're from Virginia. Okay, they're from Louisiana. They're from Arkansas. Mountains to them are not the Rocky Mountains, right? Okay, see, if, you, if we, when we talk about mountains down here in Houston, 
they're not typically the same mountains everybody else talks about. We're like, oh, yeah, man, I climbed that mountain over there out in, outside of Crosby. Right, I was right outside of Crosby. I was heading over there to Orange. And I climbed up this mountain over there. Boy, it took me about 45 minutes. I was tired. Right? See, our mountains aren't their mountains. And so their mountains are probably picturing these nice rounded tops in, in Virginia. And they get over there and they peak and this is what they see. <laughs> Can you imagine? Can you imagine they've been traveling upstream for 18 months? They've been paddling like crazy. They've been paddling like crazy and they take a peak and this is what they see. 14 thousand foot peaks covered in snow everything was changing everything was changing what's great about this and I'm, I, I wanted to show you some of these pictures because I wanted you you get this in your head. They believed with all their heart that the world in front of them would be exactly like the world behind them. And as they peeked over this, this past, they very quickly realized that the world in front of them was actually nothing like the world behind them. And, I, and this is where I believe that we are today as a church. This is where I believe we are as the exchange. This is where I believe churches are in general, that we have to realize that the world in front of us has drastically changed. It is different. And the world in front of us looks nothing like the world behind us. Can you agree with that? So why does the church try so hard to make the church in front of us look just like the church behind us? Everything has changed. And it's drastically changed. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. We have to be prepared as a church for the change that we're about to witness. We were, we've come all this way and we're proud of where we've come from. But we've come all this way and we realize that everything that we thought we knew has changed. I, I set this up and I talk about how now they've paddled and paddled and paddled and then they see these mountains, but these mountains are beautiful. These mountains are incredible. And, and there's a whole nother message. I mean, I, I was writing down, there's about 10 messages in just this one little, little sermon here. But, but one of the things is, is if we stay, if they would have stayed where they were, they never would have discovered the Rocky Mountains. Pastor Kevin set it up last week with his message, I refuse to stay here. The point is that they went on this journey of discovery, and in that journey of discovery, it didn't look like what they thought it was going to look like, but had they not gone, they never would have discovered the beauty in the Rocky Mountains. It's so beautiful. They're up there taking selfies. They're on Snapchat. They got the little um, bear ears with the bear nose or whatever uh, we do. I, I got on Snapchat like, a year ago or something when it first came out and I was on it for about a day could not figure it out and so I just deleted it and I let it go well then it's grown and now it's like this bigger deal and everybody's on it and people are talking about they're seeing me on Snapchat and stuff from my wife and other things and so I decided I'm going to get back on Snapchat and I'm going to try it out so I got back on Snapchat and I started trying it out <coughs> and it's got all you know if Surely you're familiar with it. 
Uh, it's got all these filters, and, and, and you, can, you can slide over these filters, and you can see yourself, and all of a sudden it puts ears on you and a nose, or it puts like hearts floating around your head, or it makes your face look funny, which did, did, I didn't know that was a filter. I thought it was just my phone. It's like, man, it makes my face, oh, that's my phone. That's just me. I just look funny. And so I was playing with all these filters, and, and I was thinking that my wife had told me that you can save stuff, and nobody has to see it. So I'm saving stuff, and people are, like, commenting back on, that's funny. And I'm like, you shouldn't be able to see that. <laughs> because I was doing really dumb stuff, you know. I'm, I got hearts on me, and I'm, like, doing the kissy, snake, you know, face. And people are like, oh, that's cute, Pastor Jared. And I'm like, how are you seeing that? So I almost deleted Snapchat again, but I, it's still there. I just got to figure out how I can make funny faces and nobody see it. But um, so they, so they get to this point and they look over and they realize that the world in front of them is nothing like the world behind them. And that's where we are as the, ch as the church. The world in front of us looks nothing like the world behind us. Things have changed, okay? Surely you haven't been in a hole your whole life or the last 10 years or whatever. But you can understand that the world as we know it has changed. <laughs> Government as we know it has changed. Politics has changed lifestyles have changed. What used to be shunned and, and weird is now very normal and in. Okay, things have changed. Our world has changed. And we've got to understand that the church has to be ready for those changes or we're never going to make it. What's great is that these changes are beautiful. They can be beautiful. As they look over and they see these mountains, everything in front of them was discouraging I guess it was disheartening as we go on this journey as a church I think the things that we're going to run into are beautiful the the fact that we can introduce people to a life of Christ for the first time I think that's beautiful for the fact that that we can go and we can meet somebody and we can tell them about the grace and the love of Jesus Christ despite what they've done, despite who they are, I think that's beautiful. When we can meet a, a young couple who, who are thrown in the town, they're done, their marriage is over and they're ready to quit and they're ready to give up and we can, we can introduce them to a God who can restore those things that are broken, I think that's beautiful. I think it's amazing. There are people who are struggling with addictions, with a thought of suicide uh, that are going to be set free. There are people who are struggling with depression that are going to be set free. People who are living in broken marriages and those marriages are going to be restored. Broken homes are going to be made whole. Listen, and I'm telling you, everything that we're about to see on the other side of this Slim High Pass is beautiful. But it's not the same as it was in the past. It's not what it looked like in the, in the past. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are feet, the ugliest part of the body. Have you ever thought about that verse? How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. How beautiful are the feet on the mountains of those who bring good news. We're called to do this beautiful thing, and it's to reach the lost. It's to reach the lost, and it doesn't look like what we think it looks like. 
But everything in this next season is beautiful. Every time I say that, it makes me want to sing that song. Everything is beautiful in its own way. Look at your neighbor telling them they're beautiful. They needed to hear that this morning. Some of you may have said that for the first time ever to your neighbors. Back in, in August of, of 2017, the Lord really started speaking to me about um, this next journey for our church. In August and September, he started showing me that, that we as the exchange, we're about to enter a season uh, that's uncharted territory. And for us, for me, that's exciting. Because I would like to believe that I'm kind of an explorer, that I like new things. But on the other side, it's kind of scary. So uncharted territory. I started saying that. I started saying that a lot to Pastor Kevin and Pastor Eddie, some of the pastors. I felt like God was bringing us to uncharted territory. I met with the board uh, a month or so ago, and I told them, listen, this is where I feel like God is bringing us to a place uh, uh, that is an uncharted territory. And so for months, I've been really just kind of chewing on this and thinking about what uncharted territory means. Uncharted means unmapped or unexplored, okay? Unmapped or unexplored. Last week, really, uh, I was excited because um, Pastor Kevin and I, we've talked a lot about where we're going and in our messages and, and this journey that God's taking us on. And he set it up perfectly with the message last week with, I refuse to stay here. The point is, is we're going somewhere. I just refuse to stay. Where I, if I stay where I'm at, then I'm not, never going to see what God has for me. I'm, I'm never going to see the Rocky Mountains. I'm never going to see the next stage of the journey. And that's where we want to go. So think about it this way. Lewis and Clark were at a place where their canoes, which is the most important part of their travel thus far, Right? Now they're at a point where their canoes are not nearly as valuable as they were before. In fact, their canoes were kind of becoming a little bit of a burden to them. So they had been on this massive journey for 18 months in these canoes upstream. And all of a sudden they get to the next part of their journey, which they believe is going to be an easier part of their journey, only to realize that it's actually not going to be easier. It's going to be a little bit more difficult. And the one tool that we had that we believed was the most important part is not even that important for a while. They still used them eventually, but it was going to be a while. Um, History tells us, if you go and look it up, uh, that Lewis and Clark and the Corps of Discovery, they bartered with the Indians for 29 horses because that was what was needed for this next journey. I think too often that the church uses these tools that have brought us somewhere and use these tools that have been great and needed and we get to this point and the world has changed in front of us and we're still trying to use the same tools and those tools aren't really as important as they used to be. I'm not talking about Bible, I'm not talking about uh, uh, the, theological things like that, but I'm talking about just things that the church does in general. Theological things like that, but I'm talking about just things that the church does in general. We're in a brand new stage. We're really at a new place uh, in, in our church here at the exchange, and they're not going to be used the same. The world in front of them was not the world behind them. 
The reason that we're launching into uncharted territories is because in order for us to reach the lost, we have to be willing to go where we've never, ever gone before. We have to understand that the world in front of us doesn't look like the world behind us. Spain and other nations were working overtime so that they could stop the Corps of Discovery and Lewis and Clark from discovering this water route. So you got everyone else working overtime to stop this because they had to, to uh, win the rights to this water pass. America is behind the curve, okay? This, this is the same way. This translates perfectly spiritually because the enemy is working overtime to stake claim in our young people. He's working overtime to stake claim in our marriages. He's working overtime to stake claim in our media, in our television. He's working overtime to stake claim in social media. And the church has got to get ahead of the ball game and not play defense, but play offense and get ahead. And we have to beat the enemy. It's a race just like it was with Spain and France and they're racing to try first one to stake claim wins it. We have to take back our kids. Mm, that's a good place for an amen. We have to take back our marriages. We have to take back our families. We have to take back the sanctity of marriage. We have to uh, take back what the enemy has tried to pervert in love. We have to get ahead of the enemy and stake claim. What's great about it is what we're trying to do is we're trying to go out and reach a group of people who've already been bought with a price. Isn't that awesome? That what we're trying to do is we're not going and trying to, to make a love connection. What we're trying to do is go and open up the eyes to people who Jesus has already paid a price for. The Bible says he's already bought us with a price. He's already paid for our sins. He's already paid the, for the, our redemption. Our job is just to believe it, to receive it. And then this community is covered with people who don't get that. So part of our job as the core of Discovery is to go out and find people that we can equip, that we can empower, that we can train up, that we can introduce to a relationship with Christ so that they can turn around and, and re reciprocate that. That they can duplicate exactly what's happening. Because that's our calling, that's our mission, that's our job. Uncharted territory. So what does uncharted territory look like exactly? I've been battling this, this thought process for a while. I would like to believe that I'm uh, not out of touch with the lost. A few years ago when we started planting the church, I had to get a job. And I worked in a, an awesome company. It was a great company. I loved my job. I still go back and I see them. I'll go back and take them donuts and stuff and hang out. I love them. Um, but on my first day there, I hear um, words that I'd never heard before. <laughs> I've heard a lot of cussing before, but I haven't heard some of those words strung together the way they strung. I was like, wow, I didn't know you could put those six words together like that and, make a, and put a period at the end and call that a sentence. <laughs> but you did it. <laughs> I, there's a, an older gentleman who has since passed away and, and I was at the other side of the building and he was on the phone and I heard him say things that on the other side of the building knowing that there was a woman secretary in between us he started saying these things screaming out loud as he slammed the phone down and I blushed 
I mean, I just kind of slid under my desk. Never heard these things before. <laughs> I realized real quickly that I was a little bit out of touch with the world as I knew it. You know, at the church, we don't stream all those words together all the time like that. And so I, I recognize that, that if I want to reach the lost, I have to under, understand how they think. I have to be uh, approachable. And so, I, and y'all have heard a lot of this testimony. In fact, I remember uh, when we first opened, one of my co-salesmen came and, and was a part of our church. But I just began to build a relationship with these guys. And next thing you know, one of them is going through marriage problems. And he says, hey, can I talk to you? You're a pastor, right? Yeah. So, man, we just started talking. I was able to be a part of them. One time he said, hey, could I bring my, my daughter and, and her stepmom and her mom? And could you meet with us all and share with them what you just shared with me? Yeah, I'll do that. And so I had to find a way in this uncharted territory to connect all these pieces. The canoe that I had ridden in church for a long time, it didn't work there. I had to leave the canoe behind and I had to kind of go into grounds I had never been in before. That's what uncharted territory is all about. And, and as I see the world change, I know that the church has to change. But I begin to cringe a little bit at that thought because changing a church is difficult. Changing the mindset of a church is difficult. Now be honest, how many of you were kind of raised in church? I'm not saying you had to go every Sunday. But you're, the church world is kind of something you grew up in, Right? Okay, now put those hands. How many of you did not grow up in that world? You weren't raised in church. Okay, so we're talking 95% of us. 95% of us. And, and this built, in this room, 95% of us kind of have this church mentality, this church thinking. It's just there. And we don't even mean to. It's just there. But the world's changing. And if we're going to continue in... To stay the same, we're going to miss it. We're never going to be able to reach those people. The, the message stays the same, but the methods have got to change. They've got to adjust. And to me, that's what uncharted territory is. I'm going to share a story with you. Over the holidays, my parents came to town. And my mom, she'll be watching. She may be watching this now. But my parents came to town. And my parents are our number one fans, okay? They love the exchange. Everything about the exchange is perfect. They, they want to move here. You know, my parents, they want to be, be in our church every Sunday. Last Sunday, it was icy where they, where they live, and, and they had to cancel service. And mom was so excited they got to cancel service so that she could watch our service live. And usually she'll watch our service up to, she teaches Sunday school, and she'll have the kids watch our service sometimes. So I'm telling you, she, they love our church. And we were talking about everything that God's doing and how proud they were of us. And, and we, the conversation went on for a while. And then she said this. She said, well, I only have one critique. And I said, okay, what's that? And she goes, I mean, it's not a big deal. She said, I'm just old school. She said, no big deal. She said, now I don't want you to get mad. And I said, mom, I'm over that. Okay, I don't, I don't get offended by that. What is it? And she goes, guys wearing hats in church. And she said, especially. Why don't you all look at Cody wearing a hat? 
Every one of you looked at our youth pastor on the front row wearing a hat. And I said, and she said, especially when they do it on stage. And I said, you know what, mom, I'm glad you brought that up. And I said, I really am. And I said, and honestly, I've expected my church to bring this up. I've expected to have a little bit of a, and and you got to understand, I was raised in church and I know uh, most of you were churchy and this is a big deal when it comes to church. So I've expected this issue to be brought to my attention and it hasn't. So I've kind of been shocked that it hasn't. And I told my mom, I said, I'm really glad you brought that up. And I told her this. I said, back in the summer, I was approached by one of our pastors. It wasn't Cody. I was approached by one of our pastors. And, and I don't remember if he was having a bad I was approached by one of our pastors. And, and I don't remember if he was having a bad hair day or what. And he's like, PJ, can I, can I wear my hat today? And I was like, in, on stage? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, uh, No. Um, I mean, this is church. This is the, this is the house of God, <laughs> which is not true. Okay, it's not true. You you are the house of God, not this building. But I said, uh, yeah. I mean, no, I don't think so. But that's cute though that you'd ask that, and uh, because the way I grew up, you didn't do that. Uh, in fact, Kevin and I, when we were in high school, and Lisa, she was in the same school. We had a secretary, Mrs. Blanche, that if you walked into the building and you had a hat on just in the school building, you would lose that hat so fast off your head. You'd be spinning and the hat's gone. (laughs) And she was like, you don't ever wear a hat inside a building. That was rules. It wasn't about church. That was a school building. She's like, you just don't wear a hat inside a building. Okay, so we didn't in front of her. You see all these guys running down the hall, Ms. Blanche pop out, and everybody takes off their hats. But um, I remember my parents, my dad went to preach at Roaring Springs, and I was moving to Roaring Springs, Texas. This, this is a little bitty town. This is where Pastor Kevin and I met. And I walked in on a Sunday night to this church, and I saw then an eighth grade, a 7th grade going into 8th grade year old Pastor Kevin he wasn't a pastor then by all, by no means. And, and a couple of his little friends, and I walked into this church, and they were wearing shorts. <laughs> on a Sunday night, on a Sunday night, not on youth night, because on the youth night, you can wear shorts and go to heaven. On a Sunday night, these total heathen, hypocrite fools are wearing shorts. My dad's about to deliver the word of God. And these got these little punk kids wearing shorts. I had never seen that before in my life. Anybody relate to that? I had never seen that before. When they wore shorts on a Sunday night, this was back in 90, 91, somewhere in there. 1991, I saw shorts on a Sunday night for the first time. And, and I just was over there praying, Jesus, if you come back, I'm not, I don't know them. I'm not, they're not my friends. You know, just don't leave me because these stupids are wearing shorts. (laughs) That was my thought process. I I know a pastor that, and he's told me this story too. He was driving down the road, and this is true story. This happened here in Houston. He was driving down the road, and he passed one of his board members' houses. And the board member was outside mowing his lawn, and he had shorts on. So this pastor pulled over. Ask him to step inside and change clothes. 
if he's going to be outside, and said, you better hope Jesus doesn't come while you're mowing the lawn. True story. I ain't lying if I'm, if I'm lying in front, okay? I'm not lying. These things happen. This, that's how I grew up, okay? Kind of in this, in this era, you know? It's just you don't wear shorts to church. You don't wear hats in church. You don't wear hats in buildings. That's kind of how I was raised. So I, I said all of that to say that uh, a few weeks ago, present time, in this, a few weeks ago, present time, in this building, we had a guy walk in, and he was wearing a hat, and he had his work clothes on, and, and uh, put out a cigarette outside, and he walked in, and he was looking for me. And we had become friends on Facebook because he saw one of, our, one of the sermons that I had just preached. He saw it on Facebook. Somebody shared it. So he watched this sermon, and he came, and he wanted to talk to me because his life was in shambles. So for 30 minutes before church, I sat and I talked to this young man. And not once did I, I tell him, take off your hat. Not once did I really think about him wearing a hat. All I could think about in that moment was, this guy needs us. This guy needs Jesus. You know, he's looking for Jesus. That's all I could think about. All I could think about was how exciting and thankful I am that God, you allowed this guy to find us. And, and now I have this huge mandate to speak life and to give direction and love this guy. And it was awesome. I told my mom and dad that story, this guy, and I told him a couple other stories. And I told my mom this. I said, look, I love you very much. You are more than welcome in my church. In fact, I've been begging you to move down and be a, be a part of my church. But here's the thing. You're not my target. I had told that guy who asked me back in the summer if he could wear his hat. About 30 minutes after he asked me, I went back to him and said, you know what, wear your hat, really. It's not that big of a deal. Because I started thinking about this. So he wore his hat. And they, several guys wear their hats all the time. This has nothing to do with wearing hats in church. This is not what my message is about. But I told my mom, I said, you're not my target. God did not call me to plant a church so that I could reach mature Christians. God didn't call me to plant a church so that I could steal other offended Christians. Right? Because that's the other group that will get. They're mad at whoever at their last church because they did something or said something. So they're offended. So they're going to come over here long enough to realize that we're human and we're not perfect. And then they're going to go back to their other church and they'll talk about us. That's the way the church world works. I've been in it my whole life. I know where this, this is going. And God didn't call me to plant a church for those people. God didn't call, call me to plant a church for a bunch of mature Christians that are just looking to get together and have a country club. Okay? That's not our mission. And I explained to them, and my mom, the whole time I'm saying that, she's like, that's right. That's right. I mean, she's preaching. She knows this. But I was saying that to remind myself again that she's not my target. My target is not this room full of people. My target is broken people. 
And, and the reason that you are in this room, it's not that you're not welcome. It's because I can't do it by myself. So God has slowly started to assemble a group of people. He even brings in the broken and the lost people. We watch God restore them. And then now they're part of this team that goes back out to the lost, to the uncharted territory. That's my target. That's our target as a church. It's not all the good Christian people. Stop having like dinner meetings and stuff, trying to win your church friends to go to another church and trying to tell them what we have to offer them. We don't have anything to offer them. They've got a church home. I want the smelly guys. I want the people that walk in with a hat on that they don't know any better. And I'm not going to teach them once you come to church. you got to change the way you dress, change the way you talk, change the way you act, change the way you look, change everything you got. I need you to change your cable channels when you come to church. What I am going to teach them is that there is a God who loves you so much that he'll find you at the well when you're looking for love. There's a God that loves you so much that when you're walking down the road and he's distracted with a crowd of people and you reach out and touch him, he will not only stop, he will turn and look at you and he will heal you right where you are. There's a God that loves you so much. It doesn't matter if you've been blaspheming the church and persecuting the church. God will pull you out of that. He will change your name from Paul, from Saul to Paul, and he will make you one of the greatest apostles ever known to man. God will find you where you are. See, God's not the problem. It's a church that wants to stay where they are. That's the problem. And we as a church, we can't stay where we are. We can't stay here. I refuse to stay here. Why? Because God has called me into uncharted, unmapped territory. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't know what that means. All I know is that my target is unchurched people. My target is people who don't know any better. My target is people who just, they need answers. Their marriage is in shambles, and their last hope is going to a church because they think churches fix everything, and they stumble in. Did you know this? Here's a fun fact. We were two years in that building in 1960, and I can't remember but maybe a few times in two years that we had visitors just show up to our church. 90% of the visitors that we had when we were over there were you brought them. Here, we have a new guest every single week. Every single week we have a new family. You may not realize this, but we, we have watched and we're tracking this. Every single week we have a new family. Did you know that? And I think it's because God has set us up in a place where we're prepared to go into uncharted territory. We're prepared to, to go places we've never gone before. But to do that, first of all, we have to realize that the world in front of us is not like the world behind us. So some of us might be a little bit in culture shock when we start discovering some of the people that God's going to call here because God's looking to you to restore them. He's looking to you to love them and to see healing brought upon them and see marriages restored and relationships restored. That's our job. My target is people who need the answer, and we've got the answer. We've got the answer. That's the whole point of the story. That's the whole point of the Jesus story, is that he's called us to, to show them the way. And I started thinking about it. Playing church is just too slow. You know? We're not reaching people. 
by playing church. We've got to go into uncharted territory. So I've been thinking about what that looks like, and I'm not sure. So I've been thinking about what that looks like, and I'm not sure. Uncharted, unmapped, unexplored, what does that look like? I just want to reach people. So how do we reach people? How do I reach the lost that's unmapped, uncharted? I'm not talking about just trying to start a new cool ministry that no church has ever done before. That's not what I'm talking about. One of the things that made me really think about this, and I I think about this all the time, is, and those of you who are real religious, you might want to step out or plug your ears because I'm about to just totally blow your religion up for a moment. But a few months ago, my brother-in-law called me and he said, hey, you got plans on the 29th of December? And I was like, man, I don't know what my plans are tomorrow. And I was like, I don't think so. Shelly, do we have plans? She's like, no. I said, no, I don't. He said, okay, keep that night open. You're going with me. I was like, okay. So the night of the 29th comes, and uh, I don't, I, it's kind of a surprise what we're doing, so I'm not real sure. And my two brother-in-laws and my father-in-law, we all go, we're going to a concert together. And we, they called it a concert. I got there and realized it wasn't a concert, really. It was a room about this size. And we went to a place called the Mucky Duck. Have you, have you any, y'all don't want to raise your hand. There you go. Thank you. And I know some of y'all have been to the Mucky This place is so cool. I am definitely going back. I mean, the food was unbelievable. I had, I couldn't make up my mind, so I got the We Three is what it's called. And it was a, a chicken pot pie, a uh, shepherd's pie, and some other beef with, oh, it was, whoo, hallelujah. Where was I at? Okay, so we go to this place called the Mucky Duck, and we're going to watch the Cory Morrow Band. Cory Morrow, Cory Morrow, Cory Morrow Band. Now, if you're in the Texas country or Red Dirt, whatever, that's who this guy is. He went to Tech. I found that out. He uh, started with Pat Green. I found that out. Uh, other than that, I didn't know who this was. Shelly's like, oh, you're going to like it. You're going to like his music. Uh, she's like, you know this song. No, I don't know that song. You know this song? No, I don't know that song. I didn't know one song. And then the, he gets to the very last song of the night, and he plays it. And I was like, hey, I've heard that song before. <laughs> but I didn't know one song. But it was Corey and his guitar player, and they are just sitting on his, both in acoustics. And I was sitting right there. I mean, I could spit on stage. And his acoustic guitar player was Unbelievable. I've got so many videos of me just recording this guy. He does things on acoustic that I didn't know were possible. And so he's just incredible. And I'm watching my brother-in-laws and my father-in-law watch this guy. And they're into him. They love him. They've partied with him. My brother-in-laws have. And in fact, my brother-in-laws on the way up there, they said, man, his music's not near as good as it used to be when he was on drugs and drinking. That's what they said. And then on stage, Corey says, yeah, people come up to me all the time and says, your music was a lot better when you were doing drugs and drinking. And as we're watching this guy, listening to this guy, he starts talking about his faith a little bit. And you can tell he wasn't trying to preach. He wasn't trying to uh, manipulate the situation in the crowd. And he got everybody there. Now he's going to try to win them all to Christ. But he would just say things about his wife. He'd say things about his church. And he'd say things. And, 
And he talked about how he's been clean and sober for five years. His guitar player's been clean and sober for uh, a little over a year. And then he starts talking about a ministry that he's involved with down in Corpus Christi that takes young men that don't have dads and they take them hunting and fishing. And there's a TV show on the Pursuit Channel now based off this. And Corey got to write the theme song for this TV show. And he just started talking about his faith and his journey with God and this relationship with God. And it was at that moment, I'm sitting here watching him, and I'm like, dude, this guy's totally, he's sold out for God, and he's sharing this in front of everybody. This is awesome. I look over at my brother-in-laws and my father-in-law, and I look over at all these people who have sang every word of every song. Like, I felt totally stupid. I didn't know them. I'm like, watermelon and pineapples and okay. I didn't know, and I was trying so hard to fit in. And and, uh, I look at them as he's sharing his faith. And they're, they're just hanging on every word. And it was at that moment I was like, that's uncharted territory. That you take something that just you wouldn't think. And all of a sudden this guy has a platform. Uncharted territory has been in my head so much. I left the concert and I got on his Facebook and I wrote him. I was like, listen. You don't know me, and I'm sure I'm going to be crazy to you. And I just explained, introduced who I am, and I said, look, you had a platform. I don't know if you've ever done this before, but would you ever want to do a a concert on a Sunday morning during church? And his best songs are his drinking songs. And I I told him in this email, I said, if you want, I said, our band will do praise and worship. And if you want to come in behind us and sing your drinking songs and lead us, take us on a journey of your faith. I want to reach the lost. I just want to reach the lost. And you can sing drinking songs in my church if it'll reach the lost. I just want people to see your faith and your journey that you've, you've gone from lost and, and broken homes and broken relationships and, and miserable and depressed and God has brought you out and restored you and you're having the time of your life You're sitting in the mucky duck and you're singing to a bunch of drunk people and you're sharing your faith and you're having the time of your life and these people are hanging on every word you're saying. And that's what got me thinking. Uncharted territory. I just want to reach the lost. I don't know what uncharted territory is. And I'm not saying it's get a country artist in here and sing a bunch of drinking songs. But I'm saying that I know that the world in front of me doesn't look like the world behind me. And I'm, I'm tired of trying to make the church in front of me look like the church behind me. Because it's not the same anymore. I want the church in front of me to be a church that all they see is the lost. All they care about is the lost. They're done with the gossip and they're done with the backbiting and they're done with the competition of what we did and who did this and, and how many people we had for that one big event. But they're just about the lost. That they're just about people who are looking for the answers. Over the next three weeks, that's the journey we're going on. What does uncharted territory look like? How do we get there? We're adjusting right now our core values and adjusting them to fit who we are and where we're going. Uh, Our core values, where we put our time and our effort and our talents and our finances. Uncharted territory. 
I'm going to ask you to stand with me this morning. Today, I'm going to ask you if you'll be a part of that. See, Thomas Jefferson, he assembles this group of people, and they had a mission. Their mission was to explore the Louisiana Territory, this Louisiana Purchase that they had made that, gone, that was going from the Gulf of Mexico all the way up to Canada, this whole territory. And they were going to find this water route. But they went on this discovery no, thinking that it was going to be the same the whole way. Where, wherever they started, it was going to be the same the whole way. I'm asking you this morning to go on a journey with us. I'm asking the Exchange Church to become a part of our core of discovery. That we can start right now. And we need to recognize that nothing in front of us may look like anything behind us. But it won't freak us out. I went and I started Googling and searching, you know, everything I could about Lewis and Clark and about this uh, discovery team. And one thing that I never found was when they saw this Rocky Mountain range when they saw this uncrossable I mean they're sitting there with all these canoes these are water guys okay these are water experts they're water experts and now they're looking at the Rocky Mountains isn't it ironic don't you think and they got these canoes in their hand and I couldn't find one instance when one of them said, you know what, you know, I'm a water guy, so I'm going to go ahead and take my canoe and I'm going to float back on downstream to where we came from. I didn't sign up for that. They made it. They eventually made it. They found the water. They connected the water. They made it all the way through on this journey. It was unbelievable. It was incredible. But it would have made a lot of sense if some of them would have wanted, wanted to quit right in that moment, you know, when everything was changing. I mean, I can hear complaints now, having grown up in the church world my whole life. Well, I'd go with you, but the music changed, you know. They're singing songs off the walls. I only sing songs that come out of the back of the seat in front of me, you know, Right? We laugh, but that's fights that we fought. I remember when, when we moved the organ from one side of the stage to the other side of the stage, people left the church. I'm not lying. I remember in Wichita Falls, we started busing in homeless people. And some of the board members cornered my pastor and they said, look, you start bringing in all this riffraff, they're going to start writing four-letter words on the bathroom stalls. And my pastor said, well... It's not required reading. <laughs> the point is, are we ready? Are we ready to, to take in and, and become whatever we need to become to reach whoever we got to reach? Because I don't know what uncharted territory whoever we got to reach. 
Because I don't know what uncharted territory looks like. That's the beauty of about uncharted territory. It's unmapped. It's unexplored. Here's the thing about it. It doesn't have a road. But if we have a compass, that's all we need. Because the good thing about uncharted territory is it doesn't matter if you have a, a map or a road. There's not a road that leads to Jesus or this road that leads to these lost people, whatever. There's a, a compass. And it has this, this red line and a white line on it. And then it has north, south, east, and west. And that red line, no matter how I turn this compass, it keeps pointing that way. Like my compass is broken. No, north is this way. And that red line, it just keeps, it's stubborn. The beauty about uncharted territory is it doesn't matter if we get stuck spun around, turned around if, we, if we're, we find ourselves kind of in an area where we don't know what's going on because we're going to run into that. We're going to run into a group of people I pray one day that they're going to challenge us with some things we've never thought about. They're going to ask us some questions. We're going to have to ask ourselves, is our church ready for that? All I know is I don't know what the road looks like but I know that that's north. And I know that my compass, my spiritual compass, will always point me to Him. It doesn't matter where I go, how turned around I get, how lost I get, how thick the brush is, how deep the water is, how deep the valleys are, how high the mountains are. When I get confused, when I get lost, my spiritual compass will only point to Him. So as a church, uncharted territories isn't scary to me. It's not scary if I have this because this will always point to him. Everything else is just icing on the cake. So I'm going to ask you this morning if you'll join with me. If you'll join with me. Come on. Will you raise your hand? How many of you join with me? You'll be a part of this core discovery. And that means whosoever will. Whosoever will. Come on, we close our eyes and let's pray. Father, I pray right now over this church, God, over this journey that we're about to, to embark on. God, this, we, we, don't, we don't even know what's ahead of us. We don't know how high the mountains are and how low the valleys are and how wide or how crazy the rivers are, God. But all we know is that all along the riverbanks, all along the mountains and the valleys, God, there are people who are lost, who are hurting, who are broken, who need the answers, and you are the answer. God, we hold the key to the answer, and that is you. So God, I pray right now as we, as we get ready to chase after you, as we get ready to chase and pursue after the lost, God, Lord, I pray you prepare us as a team. You prepare us as a family, as a church, that we'll be ready and willing to serve those who've never been served before, to comfort those who smell funny, to look past those who, who don't look like we look or who, who don't look like what we think the church should look like. God, but in this moment, we chase after you, Jesus. We chase after you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you empower every one of us, God. Lord, as we take the next steps, as we, as we 
commit to growing together as a church. God, I pray that you empower us. You empower us, Jesus. Hallelujah. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Let me say this. One more thing. To be the core of discovery, when, when Thomas Jefferson assembled this team, they didn't go into this naked. Okay? They didn't wake up one morning and say, okay, everybody, put on your boxers. That's all you're going to need. We're getting in the water. They packed up. They packed up all the tools and equipment they needed. They didn't even know what all they needed, but they packed everything they could imagine that they needed. And they went into it as prepared as possible. A while ago, I asked if you'd raise your hand if you wanted to be a part of this Discovery Corps Discovery. And if you did, uh, I made a mental note of everyone. So I have you now locked and burned in my mind. And if you raised your hand, I'm expecting that you're saying, you know what, I want to be prepared. And that's going to mean there's going to be times where we're going to go through classes and we're going to grow together. Maybe a Bible study, we're going to grow. Maybe we're going to have some prayer times together. And we want you to grow. So we can't just stay where we're at. We can't go on this journey naked. We have to go prepared.